Thanks for listening to Summit PA Sermon Audio, weekly teaching from the Summit Church in Indiana, Pennsylvania. SummitPA.church, every life made different. So today, um, we are beginning a series called He Shall Be Called, and uh, it's taken from Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, and it says, "For, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. And this is a a passage that is prophetic. It's by the prophet Isaiah. God spoke to him, and it's foretelling the coming of the Messiah. And the context that this was given in uh, is that the, the... the people of Israel were split into two kingdoms. There was a northern kingdom of Israel and a southern kingdom of Judah. So the tribe of Judah uh, was its own kingdom. They they were represented in Jerusalem. uh, And the northern kingdom of Israel, they had split off. There was um, animosity between the kingdoms. They were not one people at this point. Um, And the Syrian empire was the major dominant world force on the scene globally. And the Syrians were taking ground, and the nation of Israel and some of their, the, the nations that they were in alliance with, they were trying to pressure Judah to become a part of their alliance. And they basically said, if you don't join us, we're going to invade you, basically. And so the Judeans, uh, the, the king of Judah, his name was Ahaz. Ahaz, he strikes a deal with Assyria. And he, he basically lets the fox in the hen house and he invites him in and says, hey, would you help defend us against our neighbors? And the Syrians say, absolutely. And they come in and they basically take over at that point. He becomes a puppet king. Um, they levy huge taxes. And, and the nation of Judah becomes subservient to the Assyrians. As well as the Israelites are defeated. The Israelites are dispersed. Um, it's just amazing what, what has happened. And now Ahaz realizes his mistake the, the nation is basically in captivity. Not only have they levied huge taxes by the Assyrians, but the Assyrians have implemented uh, a polytheistic um, worship, and so they can no longer worship their god any longer. They have to worship Assyrian gods, and everything has gone off the rails. Where you're at as an individual is you're wondering about your future. You're wondering about your, your own liberty. You're wondering about your neighbors. You're wondering about your leader. You're wondering about the, the nations around you. Um, there's all this tension, all these things going on. And when you describe it this way, it sounds a little bit like the world we live in today, where we wonder about our future, we wonder about our leadership, we wonder about uh, the the nations around us. There's all this pressure and tension. And, And what we see is there's this darkness that's evident, that's present there, and Isaiah doesn't retreat from that. He doesn't ignore that. He speaks to that. Hey, this is where we're at. This is the situation we're in. But he speaks life into it because he says, but this is what I know. This is what God has told me. And and he speaks this prophecy. And one of the things I love about this so much is he's talking about a a coming Messiah, a future Messiah. This anticipation in the season we're in now where we're anticipating Christmas. We're anticipating the arrival of the Messiah. And, And Isaiah speaks to that. And he says, Hey, for, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given. Now this is significant because the way he words this, the way he phrases this, is he's talking about something that will happen, but he's talking about it in the present tense. So he doesn't say, someday a child will be born, and eventually a son will be given, which would have been grammatically accurate, because 
It hasn't happened yet. But the emphasis is on the present tense because he, he's saying this is prophecy about what will happen, but it is so sure to happen, we might as well be holding the baby in our arms right now. You can count on God doing this in, in so, such a way that, that you, can, you can take it to the bank. It is ironclad. This is going to happen. There is no question that it's going to happen. You don't have to wonder if it's going to happen. It is sure to happen. And then he describes him, and he says, his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And what he's doing is he's saying, hey, um, there is hope for tomorrow. It's going to get better. It's not going to stay this way. He was comparing it and really contrasting who Ahaz was as a king to the coming king. He said, hey, you might not be happy with the king we've got, but guess what? There's a king who's coming, and he's going to be a wonderful counselor. He's going to be a mighty God, an everlasting father, a prince of peace. He's going to be the opposite of Ahaz. And I want you to hear this today. I don't know what you're going through. I don't know what you're dealing with. I don't know what you're struggling with. I don't know what your failures are. I don't know any of that stuff. I don't know what the darkness is that's resident in your life today. But what I want you to know is this. Our God is a good God. And if your heart is submitted to him, he hasn't forgotten about you. He's got a future for you. It may be a little further out than what you'd like it to be, but he hasn't forgotten about you. He's on his way. You have reason to hope today. And as sure as Isaiah was that that future would come to pass, I'm sure that our God has a good future in store for you, that he has a plan in store for you, if you'll just simply submit your heart to him. So today I want us to take a few minutes, and I just want us to look at this phrase, wonderful counselor, and what that means for us, and really what that meant for them as well. When we look at the word wonderful, uh, in the, the Hebrew, it's the word pele. It's P-E-L-E, -E, and it means wonder or marvel or marvelous. And, uh, and in biblical context, it's different than the context we use it in today. In the biblical context, it's used, uh, it's used 13 times, and all but one of those times, it's used to describe something God has said or God has done. So this word wonderful is, is largely used in context with God, and it's supposed to elicit wonder in us. So we see God work, we see God move, and it does something in us. It stirs up awe in us. It stirs up wonder in us, where we stop and we go, can you believe what God did? Um, we talked, if you weren't here last weekend, you missed a great weekend, by the way. Um, last weekend was a fun weekend, and I told you before, I warned you, if you miss it, you're going to regret it, and we had a great weekend last weekend, and I was so proud of our church because I stood up here, and uh, we invited people in, and we tipped them corporately, and it was cool to see. It was fun to see. It was fun to be a blessing to them, um, and, and I'll, I'll give you an example. Um, on Monday, I called Jimmy Johns, who they delivered, and the, the manager, the manager, uh, she, she came and she took the tip and she blessed all the employees. They split it up among the employees. So I called and just said, hey, Haley, just want to say thanks. appreciate you. just wanted to see how everything go. And she said, man, we thank you for being a blessing to us. And, uh, and I said, did everything go well? She, oh, my gosh, it was incredible. She said, um, man, all of our employees, we, I got to bless them all. It was a big help. And I said, well, if you don't mind me asking, how, how much did you guys end up with? And she said it was just over $1,500. Yeah. It's pretty cool. It's pretty cool. 
And I was like, well, that's great. And so how much did each employee get? Because I'm thinking, that, I don't know, 20 employees? I don't have any idea. And she said, well, we've got six employees. So each employee got $250. Praise God. I said, well, how'd they respond? Did they, and she said, oh, it was incredible. They were teary-eyed. They are excited. She said, one of our employees, uh, they, they didn't know how they were going to put tires on their car they'd been struggling with. How do we pay for this? And that employee said, at the end of my shift, I'm going to put tires on my car tonight. And he was so excited about that. And we got to do that. We got to be a part of that. Um, if you were here in the 11 o'clock service last weekend, you, you saw there was a man on stage that we blessed from the 9 o'clock service. So we, we took a collection and blessed him. Uh, a Muslim gentleman um, named Khalid, and Khalid was on stage. And if you were here, you know, I don't think Khalid really understood what was happening <laughs> because he was kind of like, all right, whatever, like, okay. And so we prayed for him, and he walked out. And after service, Ricky, Pastor Ricky helped him. And I said, Ricky, I don't, like, I was a little disappointed. Like, you know, I don't know that he really understood what was happening. And he said, oh, Pastor Mel, he didn't. I said, what do you mean? And he said, he didn't know what was going on until I gave him the Walmart sack full of cash. And his eyes got big, and Ricky told him, he said, this is for you, this is yours, we're giving it to you. And he said, that's when he got teary-eyed and thanked me over and over and over. And I was like, that's awesome, he should have done it on stage, we want to see it up here, not in the lobby, <laughs> which is not the right heart, but he was, he was blessed. And, and I want you to hear this, um, as, as the pastor... <laughs> As the pastor of this church, I was so proud of you guys. Because if, if they got 1,500 on Saturday night, we have twice as many people on Sunday morning as we do on a Saturday night service. So we could have given Khalid 2,500 or $3,000 pretty easily. And, and we just bless some people, we just help some people. And, and last weekend was a moment for me where <laughs> I was so proud of you guys, but I stood here just thinking, God, you are so good. Look at what God is doing. It was this moment of wonder for me where I was just thinking, God, you are so incredible. And that's what this word really means. It elicits something in us when we see God work, when we see God move, when we hear him speak, when we step back and our jaw drops open and we go, what in the world? Can you believe how good our God is? And one of the problems is we've lost this wonder in our lives. We've lost the awe of God. Everything has become pedestrian. Everything's become normal. And as a result, we don't have these moments where, where God stops us in our tracks and we go, what in the world? God, you're so good. There's a definition of this word wonder by a theologian. He says this. Wonder is a phenomenon lying outside the realm of human explanation that, that which is separated from the normal course of events. It's something outside of our explanation, outside our strength, outside of our ability, something only God can do, and it, or, it, it orchestrates and redirects human or humanity, if I can say it that way. This is the miraculous this is the, um, you're diagnosed with cancer, you get prayed for, you go in, cancer's gone. That's a God thing. That should elicit wonder in us. Um, that is, um, it looks like we're gonna get a divorce and, and 
we go to counseling, we sit down with the pastor, we start working through it, and, and six months later, we're in a healthier place and we're moving toward a, a healthy, vibrant marriage. That, that's a miracle, that's a thank God. Because we were heading in one direction, now we're heading in another. That, that's a, my, my son was far from God. I never thought he would be back at church. I kept praying, I kept hoping, and, and man, he's given his life to Christ, and now he's serving God. He's, you know, those are the moments when we should step back and go, wow, who is like our God? Our God is so good. Wonder should awaken astonishment in us and in our hearts. When we see how good God is, it should cause us to stop and just marvel at how good he is and what he's done in our lives. In Exodus chapter 15, um, Moses has led the nation of Israel out of Egypt, out of slavery. They are heading uh, to the promised land, but they get to the Red Sea. And when they get to the Red Sea, they look back, and the Egyptian army is hot on their heels, and they begin to panic. They're freaking out, and they pray to God, and and God parts the Red Sea. They cross on dry land. They get to the other side. The Egyptian army is pursuing them, and God slams the Red Sea on them, and he rescues the Israelites. And this is a moment of wonder. This is a moment when God has redirected human history in a way that only he could. He has done something that no man could do, and they get to the other side, and they don't go, wow, that was good, God. Thanks. Appreciate you, right? <laughs> Whew. That was a close one. They have a moment where they stop and go, can you believe what God just did? Where, where they say, we don't want to forget this. And in Exodus 15, what we see is, is Moses actually sings a song. I don't know if you've ever been so excited or so happy or so joyful that you sang a song. I've had this moment a few times, and I will be honest with you as well. There's been a few times I've eaten some food that I'll do like a happy dance, like, I just feel good, right? And there's some times in my private time that I'll sing a song to God. I'll just be thankful for what he's done. And Moses did this. In, Moses, uh, in Exodus chapter 15, Moses it sings this long song and the nation sings with him. But he sing, says this in verse 11. He sings, who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glorious deeds, doing wonders? And he's asking this question. It's rhetorical. He says, who is like our God? And the answer is, there is none like our God. He said, what other gods are out there like you, God? What other God can do wonders? What other God? And this is a question we should be asking ourselves. Who is like our God? God, you are worthy of every ounce of amazement I can Stir up within me. You are worthy of, of every bit of astonishment that, that I could have because you are a wonderful counselor. See, the same word for wonder uh, is used in Judges. In the book of Judges, the angel of the Lord comes to Samson's father and he gives him instructions, tells him about Samson. And Samson's dad says, well, who are you? What is your name? And the angel of the Lord basically responds and says, what business is it of yours, basically? Like, what is it to you? My name is wonderful. And what he's saying is, you wouldn't get it anyway because my name is so far above what you can understand, you wouldn't understand it. You wouldn't get it. So I'm not even gonna bother telling you is basically what he says. 
And, and this is what wonder is. It's so far above us that we have no explanation. We can't respond other than just to go, God, you're good. I can't explain it. I don't know why you do it. I don't know why you would act the way you act or do the things you do or say the things you say, but God, you're good. Jesus in Matthew chapter 13 says, in coming to his hometown, he taught them in their synagogue so that they were astonished and said, where did this man get his wisdom and these mighty works? They were astonished at what Jesus said and what he did. They couldn't believe what he had done. As I've studied for this over the last couple weeks, I've come to this realization. I don't think we can really experience Jesus or really know Jesus or really hear him speak to us and walk away normal. I don't think we can experience him and then go about our normal life. I think when we really experience Jesus, we have to have a moment of wonder. We have to have a moment where we stop in our tracks, mouth agape, and go, wow. If for no other reason than for salvation. We come to think of salvation as something that's so passe, something that's so trivial in some ways. Like, oh yeah, I said a prayer. But the God of the universe saw us at our very worst loved us so much at our very worst, he gave his son to pay the price for our sins so that we could know him and be in relationship with him. That should be enough for any of us when we think about that to stop and go, who is like our God? God, you're incredible. See, wonder does not only describe what Jesus does, it describes who he is. As people were coming in today, I, I say this, I use the word wonderful quite a bit. And so somebody will say, how are you today? Oh, man, I'm wonderful, thanks. <laughs> but I'm not wonderful. Because there is none that is wonderful but Jesus, truly, biblically wonderful. And what I'm trying to say is, I'm doing great. I've got nothing to complain about, which is true. But if I say I'm wonderful, I'm, I'm not wonderful. Jesus is wonderful. He's the one who elicits awe in us and elicits wonder in us. And if I elicit wonder in you, you got issues you got some problems. But wonder doesn't describe what Jesus does. It describes who he is. Jesus is the substance of wonder. He's the embodiment of wonder. So when we look at this phrase, wonderful counselor, we have to understand that this word wonder, it is not just means he's good, that we would give him a high Yelp score. You get some good ratings on Google or on Facebook. That's not what it means. It means he is so far beyond what we can fathom or understand that he works in our lives in such a way that does, it literally should cause us to stop and say, who is like our God? The word counselor. The Hebrew word for counselor is ya'atz. It's Y-A apostrophe A-T-S. And ya'atz, this is, this is cheesy, but I'm just gonna tell you. The way I can remember that is because I grew up in, in Oklahoma. And in Oklahoma, especially eastern Oklahoma, there are, uh, you got some strong draws. My dad's from eastern Oklahoma. I love my dad very much. Um, and Siri can't understand my dad. Okay. Um, and if I went to one of my family members from eastern Oklahoma and I said, I need some advice I need some counsel. I would tell them my situation, and they'd go, well, you know, 
Yachts to, that's what they would say. Yachts to, here's what you ought to do, right? Yachts. And, and this is what this word means. It means counsel, yachts. It means to advise or consult or give counsel. I want you to remember that. It means to advise or consult. A consultant would be someone who gives yachts or to give counsel. So when Isaiah, when he is talking about the future wonderful counselor, and he's comparing that to their current terrible counselor, who now they're in Assyrian captivity for all intents and purposes because of bad counsel, because bad leadership, he led them in the wrong direction. He's saying it's not going to stay like this because Ahaz is a terrible counselor, whereas our future Messiah will be a wonderful counselor. So I wanna take a few minutes and just talk to you. What does a wonderful counselor look like? What does a good counselor look like? And I'll tell you this, the first thing I would tell you when it comes to a good counselor is, a good counselor is going to be intimate. And now when I say intimate, some of us immediately go to physical intimacy. Biblically, intimacy begins with every other form of intimacy and it culminates with physical intimacy. In the culture we live in today, it starts with physical intimacy and then everything else follows. But biblical intimacy begins, it begins with emotional, relational, intellectual intimacy, all these things. And then in a marriage relationship, it culminates in physical intimacy. So divorce yourself of physical intimacy in, in the sexual way and just think about it in this way. A good counselor knows us. A good counselor is somebody who knows your situation so well, they can speak into it because they're familiar with it. They know you, they know your heart, so they can give you good feedback. Uh, there's a passage in Psalm 139. Uh, the psalmist says this, O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down, when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it all together. You hem me in behind and before and lay your hand on me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. This is huge. This is powerful. David says this. He says, God, you know me better than anyone knows me. My wife knows me pretty well. She's with me all the time. I know me better than she knows me, but God knows me better than I know me. That's how well God knows me. And so David says, God, you know me. You know my rising. You know my laying down. You know what I think about. You know the darkest areas of my heart. You know the things I struggle with. You know the things that are in me that if anybody ever found out, I'd be mortified. God, you know everything about me, and you love me anyway is basically what he's saying. And he says, such knowledge is too wonderful for me. He says, it's too high for me to understand. I don't get why you know me and love me anyway. But the reason Jesus can be a wonderful counselor is because Jesus knows you and he loves you anyway. Now, you might not get excited about that. I get pretty excited about that because I know me. And I know I don't deserve to be loved by God. But God knows me and he loves me anyhow. The word know in the Hebrew 
It's uh, yada is the word, and it reminds me, there's an old Seinfeld episode. And and, am I the only pagan that watches Seinfeld or used to watch Seinfeld? Okay, there's a few other sinners. I see you. Um, So in Seinfeld, there was this episode, and when they were like, they would tell a story, but they'd skip over part of it, and they'd say, well, yeah, we went to the, we went and ate dinner, and then yada, 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 and then this. And so they would skip over part of the story, and they were literally saying this word. It was yada, yada, yada. It's yada is the word for, for no. And yada is the, the idiom, in, the Jewish idiom for, uh, for sexual intimacy in, in marriage, to know someone. So we see in Genesis chapter 4 that Adam knew Eve, his wife, and it's the same word. Um, we see uh, Abraham. God is describing Abraham in, in Genesis chapter 18, and he says, I know him. And it's using this word yada. And what it means is, is, is not just that I know who they are, but I, I, I'm, I'm intimate with them. I've walked with them. We've been through some stuff together. We've fought some battles together. We've, we've had some difficulties together. We know each other. I had an employee at my last church that um, he seemed to know everybody. I mean, everybody. He would tell you, oh, yeah, I know them. And one day I met a guy that he said he had known. And I was like, oh, hey, yeah, you know. And I said, this guy, I said, he worked for me. And he, da, 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 da. And he was like, I don't know him. I was like, no, no, you do. You, you do. You just don't know. But yeah, you do. He said you know him. And I described it. He was like, no, I've never met him before. And I realized what my employee would say is, oh, yeah, I know them. But he doesn't know them in this way. He hasn't walked with them. He hasn't fought in a battle with them. He hasn't lived life with them. He just knew who they were from Facebook or from social media or something like that. So, oh, yeah, I know them. And this is the problem. Many of us would say we know God, but we don't know God. We haven't experienced life with him. We haven't walked with him. We haven't allowed him to fight the battles for us. And and the truth is there is no intimacy and closeness there. And a good counselor will be intimate. A good counselor wants to know you and know what's going on in your lives. And our God, it's incredible. Our God knows us and loves us. He yada us. Can you imagine when, when God said of Abraham in Genesis 18, I know him. Have you ever been in a situation where maybe somebody you thought was important recognized you? How you felt in that moment? Oh, wow. <laughs> We're together. I, I, he, yeah, we know each other. It's like, What? It's so cool. You feel important. You feel valuable. The God of the universe, this wasn't at some concert that they let you come backstage. This wasn't at some show. This wasn't at some event where, where somebody who has some notoriety says, oh, hey, great to see you. It wasn't. The God of the universe knows you. He doesn't just know your name. He knows the depths of your soul. He knows your insecurities and your fears and your doubts and your weakness, your sinful desire. He knows all that, and he loves you anyway. He thinks you're fantastic. He loved you so much that he sent his son to pay the price for your sins. That's how well our God knows us. Jesus, it actually says in John chapter 2, verse 25, New Living Translation, no one needed to tell him about human nature, for he knew what was in each person's heart. 
Jesus knew what was in people's hearts. We see recorded in scripture times when Jesus would respond to what people are thinking. So he doesn't even respond to what they say. He responds to what they're thinking or what's in their hearts. Jesus sensed what was in their hearts and he responds and says, we see this several times in scripture. This is who our God is. This is who Jesus is. He knows what's in us and he loves us anyway. He is a counselor who knows us, is intimate with us. Second thing I'd say is a good counselor is wise. If you're in a mess, it doesn't help you to get advice from somebody who's in a worse mess, right? If you've got a dysfunctional family, you don't go to the family that's even more dysfunctional and say, how can I fix my problem? If they knew how to fix the problem, they would fix their family, right? If you're in a, in a truckload of problems financially, you don't go to somebody who's in worse financial shape and say, hey, how do I fix this? They don't know. I never ask advice from somebody who's dumber than I am. <laughs> there aren't a whole lot of those people out there. So it's hard to find, first of all. Second of all, I don't ask somebody who's dumber than me. I ask somebody who's smarter than me. Um, I will go to our staff and I'll say, hey, what do you think about this? Or sometimes they'll come to me and go, hey, what should I do about it? And I go, well, what do you think? I think they hate when I do that, by the way. Well, what do you think? They go, well, I would do da 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 And I go, that sounds like a great plan. Let's do that. Because they're smarter than I am in a lot of areas. I rely on them. I trust them to give me good feedback. I've got a couple people in my life. Um, Pastor Jim Hennessy leads Trinity Church in Cedar Hill, Texas. And, and Pastor John Nuzo leads Victory Family Church in Cranberry. And these guys serve as overseers for me. Um, these are guys that, um, and I'm, when I'm in trouble, when I'm struggling, when I'm having a hard day, when I'm up against something that I don't know how to navigate, I'll call them and I'll go, I need some help. What do I do about? How do I fix this? Well, man, this is going on in my heart. How do I navigate it? And they will give me good counsel because they're wise. They're further down the road than I am. Their churches are bigger. They lead bigger staffs. They have bigger budgets. They understand this situation in a way that I don't because they've been there already. So I'm asking them how to fix my problem. So we have to find somebody who's wise. In 1 Kings chapter 4, verse 29, it says, And God gave Solomon wisdom and understanding beyond measure and breadth of mind like the sand on the seashore, so that Solomon's wisdom surpassed the wisdom of all the people of the east and all the wisdom of Egypt, for he was wiser than all the other men, wiser than Ethan the Israelite, or Heman, or Kalkol, or Darda the sons of Mahal. Can you believe he was wiser than the sons of Mahal? I'm just kidding. I don't know who the sons of Mahal are either, so... Like, I should know this, but you shouldn't. And his fame was in the surrounding nations. People knew of him because of his wisdom. He also spoke 3,000 proverbs, and the songs, uh, his songs were over 1,000. He spoke of trees from the cedar that is in Lebanon to the hyssop that grows out of the wall. He spoke of the, excuse me, of the beasts, of the birds and the reptiles, and of the fish. And the people of all nations came to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And from all kings of the earth who had heard his wisdom. People understood Solomon has the answers. So if I've got to go on a long journey to get the answers from this guy, I'm going to do whatever it takes to get there. If I've got to pay an exorbitant amount of money and take time, months to travel, I'm going to do whatever I've got to do to get the answers I need. Because he was wise. See, knowledge is the accumulation of fact, while wisdom is the ability to rightly apply those facts. We've talked about this before. Um, there's not a person in this room or watching online that doesn't know how to lose weight, right? We know how to lose weight. And if you're not sure, there's a million infomercials, pills you can take, oils you can rub on your belly, all kinds of stuff you can do, right? Here's what you do. 
So there's lots of things. We know what to do. The problem isn't knowing what to do. The problem is applying the knowledge we have, right? The problem is, is actually doing what we know what we're supposed to do. That's the difference between knowledge and wisdom. Robert Leitner, he's, he's a PhD a theologian, he says this. He said, through his wisdom, talking about God, through his wisdom, God applies his knowledge to accomplish his purpose in ways which will bring the greatest good to mankind and the most glory to him. So what he says is, God will apply his knowledge in wisdom to bring about the best good for mankind and most glory to him. That's what he does. So what it doesn't talk about, what, what he doesn't say here, is that God is interested in our comfort or our own happiness or our own sense of well-being. So what I want you to hear is this. Sometimes we're going to go through difficult seasons, and just because we're having a hard time or we're uncomfortable doesn't mean we're outside of God's will. Sometimes we're exactly where God wants us to be, and we're miserable. That's just the truth. So, so I want you to know something today. Maybe you're struggling, maybe you're having a hard time, and you think, I've got to get out of this job, I've got to get out of this relationship, I've got to get out of this situation because I'm unhappy. And maybe that's not what God's asking you to do. Maybe God's got you exactly where he wants you to be because he's working a plan that's bigger than what you can understand. Just like David said, it's high above me. I don't understand how you know me, why you know me. Maybe God's got a plan that's high above you that's beyond what you can understand. But, but this is what I know. When we come to Jesus for wisdom, we must trust his heart. We have to. Because he knows us, he loves us, and he always wants the best for us. I want you to hear that. He loves you, he is for you, and he wants the best for you. That's the heart of Jesus. It might not seem like it in the situation you're in, in the circumstance you're walking through, but he works all things together for good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. Later in the book of Isaiah, chapter 28, it says, calls Jesus wonderful counselor again. It says, this also comes from the Lord of hosts. He is wonderful in counsel and excellent in wisdom. Isaiah 11, one says this, and there shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse and a branch from, the roots, uh, a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. So what this is saying is this. This is another prophetic word about Jesus. There was a, a tree, an olive tree in the Middle East. And when you cut this olive tree off, uh, you may leave it a stump, it will begin to grow again eventually. And what it's saying is it looks dead, but it's not dead. So just in context, the nation of Israel was dispersed. The nation of Judah was basically dispersed as well at this point. Um, the, the, there was no cohesive nation of Israel. There were people who were native, but there was, no, there was no nation really. And at this point, it looked like the prophecies about the Messiah coming from the lineage of David were maybe not prophecies after all, because the house of David was, was in shambles. And so what we see is uh, Isaiah gives this prophecy and he says, hey, there's a stump from the house of Jesse. This is Jesse is David's father. So he's saying from the house of David. And he said, it looks like it's dead, but there's a shoot that comes up and it's gonna bear fruit. And he's just talking about Jesus, that Jesus is going to emerge from the house of David. He is going to be the, the Messiah that they've been looking for. And verse two says this, and the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. Now listen, it says the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. All these things will rest on Jesus. This is who he is. But it doesn't just rest on him. Colossians chapter 2, verses 2 and 3 says this. 
Paul says to the Colossian church, I want them to be encouraged and knit together by the strong ties of love. I want them to have complete confidence that they understand God's mysterious plan, which is Christ Jesus. So he says, I want them to understand who Jesus is. And it says, in him, in Jesus, lie hidden all treasures of wisdom and knowledge. So Jesus is the source and the substance of all wisdom and knowledge. Every bit of, of, of street uh, street knowledge, just common wisdom that you see in the world is derivative of the wisdom that comes from Christ. It all is just a knockoff of what Jesus has and what he is and what's originated in him. So what we see is Jesus is the source of all wisdom. He's not just wise. He's the source of wisdom. And he doesn't just know about you. He knows you intimately. He is a wonderful counselor. So how do we respond to that? How must we respond? Number one, we ask God for wisdom. It's pretty simple. If God is wise, if people would travel the whole globe to get to Solomon and ask for wisdom, why in the world do we not ask the one who gave Solomon his wisdom for wisdom? Right? So we ask. Psalm chapter, I'm sorry, in James chapter one, verse five, it says, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach and it will be given him. So what this means is this, when we go to God and say, God, I need your help. It's not like when you go to a family member or a friend or maybe a parent or a coach or whatever it is and you go and you, hey, I need some help. Uh, I, don't, I don't understand the situation. And maybe you've had somebody respond and go, what, you don't get that? Well, you don't understand this? I can't, you should know this by now. Are you still trying to figure this out? I can't believe you. Go figure it out. You could do it. Go. See, that's what a coach might do or a parent might do. That's not what God does. He says he'll give generously without reproach. He's not going to give us a hard time for it. He's not going to make us feel bad for it. When we say, Father, I need your help. But the problem is many times we don't go to God. We'll go everywhere else. We'll go to social media. We'll go to our friends. And some of our friends are in a bigger mess than we are. So all that happens is we just get bad advice. So if people would travel the globe to get to Solomon, why won't we take time and sit down with God and go, God, I need, I need you to give me some help here. And I'm so grateful for godly men and women who can speak wisdom into my life and give me wise counsel, but all of their feedback pales in comparison to God. So what I ultimately have to do is go to God and go, God, I need your help here. The, I'm not sure how to navigate this. I'm not sure how to respond to this. My heart's struggling here. So God, I need your help. I need you to show me. And I'll be honest with you, since I've been here, there's been a number of things we've done as a church that defy conventional wisdom that we probably shouldn't have done, but God led us and it worked out. God's, God's pretty wise like that. It's amazing, right? So we go to God and say, God, I need your help. And he's gonna give us wisdom generously. Now, this is what I would tell you to do, though. When you ask God to show you wisdom and to tell you what you should be doing, you have to wait long enough to hear his response. Because many of us will do this. We'll go, God, I need your help. God, I also need you to bless me. Give me some stuff. Help me with my work. Bless my marriage. Bless my kids. In Jesus' name, amen. Sorry, God, I gotta go. Can't talk now. And God's like, buzz, 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 buzz. like I was wanting to tell you something. There was something. I wanted you to hear this, but Okay. So we have to stop and just go, okay, God, I'm going to carve out some time on my calendar. I'm going to carve out some time on my schedule today. <sighs> what do you want me to know? What am I missing? What do I need to see? 
Show me. Now, God might speak to you audibly. I don't think God's ever really spoken to me audibly before. He might speak to you audibly. But I think one of the things we see, I think God gives us impressions. God gives us feelings. Sometimes we call them gut feelings, but I think, I think that can be a sense of the Holy Spirit. Now, I don't totally rely on our feelings because our feelings will say, you need to get out of this marriage. It's bad. You need to leave this job. Your boss hates you. you go, yeah. So we can justify things on our feelings sometimes. I'm not talking about just a feeling. I'm talking about a sense in your spirit that you're settled where you go, you know what? I, I don't, man, this is not what I want to do, but I think this is what God's asking me to do. God's asking me to stay in this job. God's asking me to stay in the marriage. God's asking me to, whatever it might be, quit my job and move overseas. I don't know. That's where we go, God, give me wisdom. And I'm going to listen for your voice. And I'm going to, if I don't hear an audible voice, God, I'm going to wait for your Holy Spirit to give me an impression on my heart, to, to pull me in a direction, to show me what I should do, to confirm it with godly counselors in my life, people who will speak into me. So if you ask for wisdom, God will give it to you. And if you don't hear any of those things, I've got another piece of, of advice for you. The first thing is you ask God for wisdom. The second thing is you find wisdom in Scripture. There's times that I'll have somebody come to me and go, Mel, can you pray with me about this situation? And I want to go, I don't need to pray with you. The Bible is clear. The Bible tells us what to do in that situation. So you don't need to look for direction. God's told us. So sometimes I think we miss God's best just simply because we don't know what the Word of God says. In Psalm 119.24, the psalmist says this, Your laws please me. They give me wise advice. So what the psalmist is saying is, when, when my heart comes into alignment with your purposes and plans, I delight in the law instead of hating the law. See, some of us don't like the law because we, we don't see the value in it. So we, we go, man, I, I should be able to drive 120 through downtown Indiana. The law's just trying to limit me. No, the law's trying to protect people. The law's trying to give you freedom to not run over somebody, Right? So the law is trying to give you freedom, and when we understand that, when our hearts come into alignment with the law, then it gives us life. And what the psalmist is saying is, hey, when I understood that the law wasn't here to, to squash me, the law was here to free me, um, it brings life. And now I can look at the law, and I understand there's wisdom in the law. And so when he's talking about the law, he's talking about the first, first five books of the Old Testament. And he says, when I look at this, this is life. There's wisdom there. It tells me how I should live. It gives me guidance on, on how to think and how to live my life. And so he says there's wisdom in the word. So we ask God for wisdom. He will give us wisdom because he is a wonderful counselor. Now, when we use that phrase counselor, remember what I said at the beginning of my message. Uh, it means consultant. It means someone who gives advice or feedback. And one of the problems is we look at God as someone who gives us a consultation. God, I need some feedback. What should I do about this? And God tells us, and we go, all right, I'll think about it. We'll see. I appreciate your feedback, God. There's a passage I want to share with you. It's in Micah chapter 4, verse 9 from the Living Translation. And this was a similar um, context as what we see in Isaiah. And it says this, God's speaking through Micah to the people of Israel, but why are you now screaming in terror? Have you no king to lead you? Have you have your wise people all died? Pain has gripped you like a woman in childbirth. So what he's saying is, you're wondering about your future. You're wondering about what's to come. You're, you're wondering about how things are going to work out. And he says, you have no king. And he says, have you no king? Uh, have you no wise people to give you counsel? 
And he says, pain has gripped you like a woman in childbirth. Just like a woman in childbirth can't escape the pain, some of us are walking through seasons where we can't escape the pain. And God is saying this. He says, the problem is that you don't think you have a king and somebody who leads you through that situation. See, a counselor is also used to describe kings in the Old Testament. And a counselor, uh, as a king, would stand before the people and say, guys, I know the situation we're in seems desperate, it seems hopeless, but I got good news for you. I've got a plan, we're gonna navigate this, we're gonna get to the other side, it's gonna be okay. Don't worry, I know where we're going, I know how we're gonna work this out. That's why Ahaz was a bad counselor, because he led them in the wrong direction. And that's why Isaiah could say, hey, there's a wonderful counselor on his way. He's going to lead us in the right direction. So a good counselor stand before the people and say, here's what we do. Here's how we do it. Don't worry, I got this under control. What we see here is this situation where God says, you think you don't have a king, but I'm still the king. You think you don't have a counselor, but I'm, I'm your counselor. And for many of us, we're in the same situation as the people were here. We're looking around us for hope, and God's saying, I'm all the hope you need. There's a church that, uh, you can go ahead and start playing if you want to, Brian. You can go ahead and play if you want to. There's a church we're in a relationship with because of our Back 40 network. Back 40 is rural church network that we started a few years ago. We connect with other churches, we partner with them, help them, relationship with them. And the church came to us and said, hey, we're struggling. We haven't grown uh, in years. We've been in decline. We haven't seen people saved. Most of our people are, are elderly, and we want to start reaching some young people. Can you help us? So Pastor Todd and I went, and we spent the day with the pastor and, and the pastor's elders. And we sat down, and we asked questions. We talked to their systems and what they did. We walked to their building, and we gave them like two pages of things that here's some things you can do to just start reaching younger people, to start reaching lost people, to, to just begin to have an outward focus. Um, here's some things practically you can do in your building. And, and there was a, almost everything we told them to do, they could do for free. It wouldn't cost them anything financially. And then there were some things that said, you probably need to update this and this and this, and there were some other things. And we said, but we'll help you pay for that. So it's not gonna cost you much because they were a small struggling church. So they thanked us. And we prayed together and we left. And a couple months later, I reached out. I hadn't heard from the pastor. I reached out and said, hey, how's everything going? The pastor said, oh, everything's fine. We're just looking at it, trying to figure out what to do. And, okay, that's great. If you need anything, let us know. The pastor said, that's, okay, thank you. So about six months after that, uh, it was coming up time for our, our pastor's conference, Back 40. And I, I noticed that this pastor hadn't registered. So I reached out to the pastor and I said, hey, I just noticed you hadn't registered. I didn't want you to forget. And the pastor said, no, I'm not coming this year. I said, oh, how come? And I was thinking maybe there's a schedule conflict. And the pastor just said, um, I don't think I'm interested. I said, well, why do you say that? And the pastor said, well, what you suggested for us, it's good for big churches and big city churches like yours, but it's not good for churches like ours. So we're just not interested. I said, okay. And I said, if you don't mind me asking a question, of the things that I told you you could do, how many of those things did you implement or try before you realized they don't work? And the pastor said, none of them. I said, you didn't do any of it? No. And I was frustrated and I was hurt and I was disappointed, and I had all these emotions because I wanted this pastor's church to grow seemingly more than this pastor did. And there are, what I've realized is there are people in their churches that need help, 
and there are people in churches that want help. And there's a big difference between those two things. And, and so what I decided is they don't want my help. And they can, they can tell me they don't want my help because I'm just a consultant. That's all I am. I give them feedback and then they have to make decisions. And many times we approach God this way. We go, God, I want to go to heaven. That's a good thing. But I don't need you telling me what to do in my life. I got this under control. And so what happens is we get to a season where the future seems bleak, where we're not sure about what's coming up, things seem a little unstable, and we end up like these people in Micah chapter 4 where we're screaming in terror. We end up in this place where we're in pain like a woman in childbirth. And God's asking us the same question. Am I just a consultant to you or am I, am I the king? Am I, am I the wonderful counselor or, or am I just giving you some feedback? that you can take or leave. Because I want you to hear this, God is not a consultant. That is not who he is. And if we are taking his wisdom as feedback that we can take or leave, we are missing the boat. Because God has a future for us, he's got something in store for us, but we have to come into submission to his plans. We have to say, God, I don't wanna just hear your wisdom, I wanna submit my life to your wisdom. I don't wanna just hear what you think, I want my life to come into alignment with it. So God, whatever I need to do, I'm willing to do that. That's the best possible outcome for us. That's what God's inviting us into. So if you don't mind, why don't you bow your head and close your eyes, let's pray together. Heavenly Father, you're so incredible and you're so awesome. And God, you truly are wonderful. God, we acknowledge that today. We're grateful for salvation. We're grateful that you know us and that you love us anyway. We're grateful that you want to be close to us. We're grateful that you are wise and we have access to you. We have access to your word. So God, I pray today, we would not look at you as some consultant. You're just giving us feedback that we can take or leave. But God, I pray that we would see today that you are a wonderful counsel. You're a wise king. That you wanna lead us in authority through our situation. So God, I pray that you'd have your way with us right now. God, I pray for those that are here that have never submitted their lives to you, they've never made you Lord, they've never been close to you, they've never really known you, they knew a lot about you, but they've never really known you. Let today be the day that they know you in an intimate way. They surrender their lives to you, they walk with you. So God, have your way. God, I pray for those that are here that, that are struggling with direction, with their future, with decisions they need to make. God, I pray as we ask you for wisdom, I pray that you would give it generously to us and then let us be bold enough to take the steps that you give us. Let us be bold enough and strong enough to apply the wisdom that you give us in our lives. So God, have your way with us. Now, with nobody looking around, your head, out, uh, your head bowed and your eyes closed, I just wanna ask you, if you are here today and you say to me, Mel, you know what? I'm not really walking with Jesus. I don't really know him, but I know I, I need to. I wanna know him today. I wanna be close to him today. I don't want just a religious experience. I wanna I want be in awe of him. I wanna know him. And if you've never surrendered your life to him, today is your day. So if that's you, with nobody looking around, would you just raise your hand real high if you say, today's my day, I wanna make Jesus Lord of my life. I wanna know him. You can slip your hand up real high where I can see. Put it right back down. Yeah, thank you. I see you. I appreciate that. Who else would say, Mel, that's me. Pray for me. Today's my day. I want to know Christ. I want to make him Lord. 
He's not a consultant today. He is king. All right. Yeah, thank you. I see you up on the balcony on my left. Praise God. Praise God. I'd like every person in this room, whether you raised your hand or not, to pray this prayer with me. Say this out loud. Heavenly Father, thank you for loving me. And thank you for giving Jesus, your son, to pay the price for my sins on the cross. Today, he is alive and well. And he has rescued me. Take my life and use it for your glory. I'm not asking you to be a consultant. I'm asking you to be king. From this day forward, I'm yours. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Can we give God a round of applause today? Listen, if you prayed that prayer and you meant it, whether you raised your hand or not, I want you to know you're a new creation today. The old is gone and the new has come. And we would love to help you take the next step in your faith journey. The simplest thing for you to do is take the card that's in the seat back in front of you and fill it out. On one side it says need prayer, on the other side it says salvation. If you'll fill out the side of the card that says salvation and then take it to our info center, give it to them. They're gonna give you a new Bible and they're gonna help you take the next step in your faith journey. Uh, we're gonna get you connected to some, some uh, resources and relationships that are gonna help you grow. If you're watching online and you prayed that prayer with us today, we wanna help you take the next step as well. So simply text the word salvation to the number 55 when you do that, we're going to respond back to you and help you take the next step. And then we're going to help you find a life-giving church in your area that you can begin to grow in your faith in. So thank you for worshiping with us today. Here's what's going to happen now. I want to pray a final prayer over you before we're dismissed. And while I'm praying for you, our prayer team is going to come up and they'll be here at the front of this room. And if you'd like to receive prayer for whatever may be going on in your life today, uh, I would love for you to come forward whenever we say amen in just a moment. Feel free to come up, find one of them, let them agree with you in prayer. And if you just want to pray, if you just want to sit in your seat and pray a little while longer, if you want to come to the front of this room and kneel at the steps, feel free to do so. And if you feel like God is through with you and you're ready to leave, whenever I uh, finish praying in just a moment, feel free to be dismissed. Please just do so reverently so we don't disrupt what God's doing at the front of this room. So let me pray over you and then we'll be dismissed. Heavenly Father, thanks for all you've done for us. Thank you for your incredible blessing. God, I'm sorry for the times that we have not been in awe of who you are, that God, we've lost our wonder with you. God, I pray today you would awaken that within us. Help us see you for who you are. And God, I pray as we walk out of this room today, we would carry the sense of wonder with us, that God, we would carry the sense of awe with us. And God, I pray that the people around us would see you at work, that God, they would marvel not at us, but at you. So God, have your way with us. I pray a blessing on every person in this place as we walk out of here, as we go to work tomorrow, go to class, whatever it may be, I pray that you'd be glorified in and through us. And it's in the name of Jesus we pray, amen. I love you more than you know, and I'm so honored I get to be your pastor. God bless you. Have a great week. Kingdom of heaven. This is the kingdom of heaven. And if we will understand how valuable the kingdom of heaven is, it would not be a sacrifice for us at all to say, God, I'm laying it all down. God, I'm going to live open-handedly with everything I am, everything I have, every dollar in my account, every talent I've got, every breath in my being, it is yours.